Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. God chose to adopt you. Doesn't that say so much? that He decides to take you on as His own child. That, that says a lot to me. And I, I, I encourage you to, to really think about that. God has chosen to adopt you. Why? Why do you think He chose to adopt you? Because He loves us, no? And it says here that it was before the foundations of the earth. Before He created anything, God chose you and chose to adopt you. Verse 7 says, um, oh no, 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. John, that's the gospel, eh? He has showered His kindness on us. Not just a little drapuki drapuki. He showered His kindness on us. That, that just, that touches my heart. That touches my heart. Amen. So, this week I was meditating on this very thing. <laughs> I was meditating on the love of God and how much he loves us. I know that God loves me. And He has proven it to us now. I'm very close to tears. but <laughs> Just bear with me. God proved His love for us by going to the cross on our behalf. I thought this week about what God went through to save me. Think about that a bit. Make that your, your weekly um, think about thing. <laughs> you know? What do you think about? Yes. Just, just think about that this week. I really encourage you to do so. And go to that scripture in Ephesians and meditate on it. Amen. In Luke 7 verse 36 to 50, we read about Jesus being invited to eat at the house of a Pharisee. That's Luke 7 verse 36 to 50. We can quickly go there if you have a Bible. Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. We read about Jesus being invited to eat at the house of a Pharisee. And a woman who was a sinner uh, also came into the house. And she started washing Jesus' feet with her tears because she was weeping. I'm not reading from the Bible. I'm just giving you the, a bit of a background. Because if I have to read that whole story, we're gonna, it's going to drag out the time a bit more. And I've got a lot to say this morning. So she wiped his feet with her hair, kissing his feet and anointed his feet with expensive oil. Just put yourself in that situation. Imagine it. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus was a human being. He walked with sandals. No, he walked. Jesus didn't fly above the ground, uh, like a meter above the ground. No? He walked in sandals. And in those times, it was dusty roads, no? Yes. So, Jesus' feet was dirty, no? He was a human being. But just imagine this situation. This woman, she comes and she, she's standing behind him. She's weeping. And then she bends down and she, she cleans his feet with her hair. Imagine that, no? And then she anoints his, his, his feet with very expensive oil. She was completely consumed with this act of worship. And that was what she was doing. She was worshipping Jesus by ministering unto Him in this way. And the Pharisee was looking down. This is, the Pharisee is the exact opposite of this woman that we see here. The Pharisee was looking down on this woman. And he even was looking down on Jesus, you know. 
because he thought within himself that how could this man, if he was a prophet, how could he allow this woman to touch him? So he was even doubting that Jesus was even a prophet. He, he, this Pharisee was feeling very proud in who he was. And yeah, Jesus knew what the Pharisee was thinking and Jesus gave us this parable. He told the Pharisee this in Luke 7 verse 41. We're going to read Luke 7 verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other but either of them but neither of them could repay him so he kindly forgave them both cancelling their debts who do you suppose loved him more after that no? Simon answered I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt that's right Jesus said verse 44 then he turned to the woman and said to Simon look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash, my, wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. Okay? But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. No? So we see, we see two people here. No? Uh, both of them were sinners. Both of them were sinners. It's not that one of them had less sin than the other. The Pharisee was also a sinner. No? Um, but the Pharisee was proud and self-righteous. All right? He believed that he was keeping the law. Outwardly, he was doing all the right things as opposed to the woman uh, who was known by her deeds to be a sinner. He did not believe that he needed forgiveness for anything. The Pharisee doubted that Jesus was even a prophet, never mind the Son of God. He was probably even thinking that he was better and holier than Jesus because he would not let such a sinful woman touch him. There was no thankfulness in his heart. He didn't, he didn't acknowledge his own son. No? He didn't acknowledge that he needed Jesus. So there was no thankfulness in his heart. So that he, he did not even serve Jesus with the basic things that they would do in their culture. In Luke, 7, oh, sorry, Luke 18 verse 9, um, Jesus also speaks to the Pharisees and he tells them this. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And see what it says there, and despise others. No? Because of self-righteousness and pride, they look down on others. No? What does that mean? It means they were despising them, that they, they were looking down on them. They were seeing these other peoples as nothing. Because in their own eyes, they were so perfect. They were so righteous. No? It just shows you what pride does. It just shows you what it does when, when we don't acknowledge that we need Jesus. It makes you prideful. It makes your heart hard. It makes you despise other people. All right. The woman, on the other hand, humbled herself. She was acknowledging that she was a sinner. And she was completely depending on the mercy of Jesus. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So she believed that Jesus was the Son of God, no? unlike the Pharisee, mm -hmm. and came to him to receive forgiveness, and she believed that he would forgive her. Her thankfulness overflowed in this great act of love toward Jesus. Her focus was completely on Jesus. She wasn't focused on the natural and the physical world. The dust on Jesus' feet was nothing to her. She barely even noticed it. No? 
she was worshipping Jesus by kissing his feet. Just look at the contrast between those two people. Eh? Pride and self-righteousness leads to a hard heart in a striking lack of love for both God and for others. When we acknowledge our sinfulness, we can see how desperately lost and hopeless we were. All right? I'm not saying we must focus all of, our, all of the time on our sin, but we need to realize where Jesus brought us from. Humility is then to admit that we need Jesus instead of convincing ourselves that we're not, we're not as bad. Or comparing ourselves with others um, who we think is worse than us. No? Um, to make us feel better about ourselves. Depending on Jesus' righteousness and grace caused this woman ex- to, to love extravagantly. And the, what she shows us there is extravagant love. Like I said, imagine that. This woman comes in. She is so desperate for forgiveness. And she knows she's only going to get it at one place. And that's with Jesus. And because she realizes how sinful she was, she was very, very thankful. So thankful that she loved Jesus extravagantly. She was kissing his feet, wiping her, his feet with, his, with her hair. Just think about that. When we want to love people, if you want to grow in your love for people, we're going to have to realize we are going to have to humble ourselves and admit where Jesus, see where Jesus uh, took us out from and realize that it's just by His grace. The more we focus on His grace, the more we will love other people. All right. Okay, so it's interesting to see that the world wants people to believe that humans are basically good people. Have you ever heard of that? That the world wants to believe that at the core... Human beings are actually good, all right? And many studies have actually been done, and they've done experiments on children and stuff like that to prove that at, at a basic level, at the core of our being, human beings are actually good. But the funny thing is that they, they haven't been able to prove it, no? They haven't been able to prove that. That desire to believe that man is basically good I believe, comes from pride, just like the Pharisee. That basic belief that we are good. Satan does not want people to realize their need for a Savior. Alright? I believe that we um, are morally... Sorry, what am I writing here? If we be, oh, sorry. <laughs> if we believe that we are morally good, then we don't see our need for forgiveness. Alright? If we believe that we are basically good, then we don't see our need to be forgiven. It's just like the Pharisee, alright? It's self-righteousness. The world focuses on outward actions and behavior, but the Bible shows us that we sin for a reason, alright? Because something is wrong at the core, alright? The Bible makes it crystal clear that human beings are evil at their core. Contrary to what the world wants to believe, we are actually evil at our core. And what Jesus is only, and Jesus is our only hope. Let's look at the state of man uh, after Adam and Eve disobeyed and sinned in the garden. Romans 5 gives us the best behind-the-scenes explanation of what happened to the human race. Romans 5, uh, after the sin of Adam and Eve. And it also shows us how Adam and his failure is actually a shadow of Jesus and his great success. It is a long portion of scripture, but it, uh, it makes a few simple points crystal clear. All right. See if you guys can identify the, the points as we read through it. Romans 5 verse 12. Romans 5 verse 12. It gives us an understanding of what happened to us. What happened to the human race after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5 verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. That's what happened. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sinned through death. Sin brought death. 
So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, verse 14, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a, a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater, this, this is awesome, even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of this one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. That's awesome. God's free gift through His wonderful grace leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. Even greater. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Sure. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So that's, Paul is showing how, how Adam and his mistake that led to death and condemnation is actually like almost like an inverted uh, shadow of what Jesus did. No? Jesus, through His one act of righteousness by dying for us on the cross, yes. is like a shadow of what Adam did. No? Oh no, Adam's Adam's mistake was a shadow of what Jesus came to do for us. Okay, and where His 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 act caused death and condemnation, yeah. Jesus act of righteousness brought us life and peace and righteousness. Um, where were we? Verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. That's the purpose of the law, eh? by the way. Remember that one. Uh, Romans 5 verse 20. If someone wants to, tell you, wants to tell you you have to obey the Ten Commandments and this and this and this, just start, take them to this verse. Romans 5 verse 20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now... That's, I'm so glad that word is there. <laughs> now, God's wonderful grace rules instead. That's awesome, right? Giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So sin separated us from God, the source of life. No? Paul says here in Romans that sin entered the world and it started ruling. We saw that in the scriptures that we read. Sin led to death and to condemnation. You remember that we read that? Mm -hmm. To death and condemnation. Verse 16 says, And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Alright. Now the word condemnation in Greek means a damnatory sentence. Like a judge would make a sentence, like he said, he's, he hits the hammer and he says guilty. That's what a sentence means. So, condemnation is a damnatory sentence. Now, the word damnatory comes from the word damned, to be damned or to be doomed. Okay? Uh, so, that refers to eternal punishment. So, when we look at Adam's, what Adam did, he sinned, and that led to death 
and condemnation. So it's condemnation in the sense is then spiritual death and physical death. Yeah? Death, physical, and spiritual death, condemnation. Man dies spiritually, and because of that, he would also eventually die physically. Adam and Eve lived about 900 years after God said that they will surely die. Remember, God said to them, don't eat of this tree or you will surely die. And they ate of the tree. And did they die immediately? No. No, they died 930 years later, approximately. So they died spiritually. Adam was the first man. The entire human race was inside of Adam in a seed form. It's very strange to think that because Adam died, oh, because Adam sinned, now all of us are guilty. No, that's a strange thought to think upon. It's a bit of a mystery. And there's many interpretations of what that means, how, how that can be. But the one that makes the most sense is that the human race was in Adam in a seed form. You understand what I'm saying? Because... We all come from Adam. Amen? Yes. That is how we were in Adam in a seed form. And when he sinned, it means that all of us sinned. Yeah. Alright. He died spiritually. I read a paragraph from GodQuestions.org. It says, Through Adam, the inherent inclination to sin, the inherent inclination to sin, entered the human race and human beings became sinners by nature all right when adam sinned his inner nature was transformed by sin by his sin of rebellion bringing to him spiritual death and depravity which would be passed on to all who came after him we are sinners not because we sin rather we sin because we are sinners you understand that logic Alright? This passed on depravity is known as inherited sin. So we inherited sin from Adam. That spiritual deadness in our spirit comes from Adam. Praise Jesus is not like that's not the case anymore if you believe in Jesus. Amen. Amen. But that is that is what happened. Alright? Um, just as we inherit physical characteristics from our parents, uh, if my dad has blue eyes my mom has blue eyes, then I might also, the chance is good that I will also have blue eyes. No? So, in the same way that we inherit certain characteristics from our parents, we inherited sin from Adam. Okay, Our sinful natures come from Adam. David says in the Psalms, Psalm 51 verse 5, Psalm 51 verse 5, He says, for I was born a sinner. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That's what King David says, né? the king of Israel. One of the most famous kings says he was born a sinner. The Psalm 58 verse 3. Psalm 58 verse 3. David also says, these wicked people are born sinners. Even from my birth, even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. So every human being is born with this sin nature on the inside of them. Amen? Amen. This sin nature had a tremendous effect on our entire being. Alright? Rita made a good illustration once here. She, was, she had three persons here. One represented the Holy, no, not the Holy Spirit. It was body, soul, and spirit. Okay? And the spirit is what drives us. It is the core of our being. So if our spirit is, is, is sinful, if sin was in our spirit, then it means it controls the rest of the, of the being. Yeah? And because, because of sin, it changed the way we think. Amen. Um, Ephesians 4 gives a description of man under the power of sin. Ephesians 4 verse 17. Ephesians 4 verse 17. Just look at the darkness that you that you read here. 
see the darkness in which man was, in which God saved us from. Ephesians 4.17 says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Huh? Listen to those words. They are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They have no understanding. There is no life on the inside of them. Their hearts are hardened and their minds are closed to spiritual truth and to God. This all leads them to sin. They do unthinkable things to themselves and others. They are completely consumed with themselves and they just go do whatever the flesh wants. Huh? And because the flesh is ruled by the sinful nature, those desires that they have become more and more evil. Don't we see this in, in the world out there? Yeah. It becomes more and more evil. Huh? Yes. Um, uh, I read from Ephesians 4 verse 17 to 19. They are completely consumed with themselves and they go and do whatever their flesh wants. There is no self-control. Yeah? Their minds become so twisted that the most terrible yeah, that the most terrible things like murder start seeming like a good idea. At the end it leads to death and destruction, even the destruction of themselves. Okay. So I'm just trying to paint for you a picture of the lost the lost state that we were in as unbelievers. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and that woman, she realized it. She realized how lost she was. Yes. And that is why she was so thankful for forgiveness. Yes. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. That despite man's complete and utter failure, yes. Yes. hopelessness, ignorance, completely given over to sin and Satan, deadness, emptiness, headed for eternal death and separation from God. That was where we were heading people. Eternal separation from God. Eternal punishment. It's, it's, it's very scary. God in absolute loving kindness and mercy and grace reached out to man in that condition. We wanted nothing to do with God. But He reached out to man. Not because we deserve it. We don't deserve a shred of tolerance, even never mind kindness from God. But this just shows us how good God is. When we see how, how bad we were, we can see the contrast of how good God is. Amen. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1. <clears throat> Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 2. You used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit, listen to this now, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The unbeliever, someone that doesn't believe in Jesus, has this on the inside of them. The spirit of the devil. All of us used to live that way, verse 3 says. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else. But God. I love that. But God is so rich in mercy. And He loved us so much. Eh? And He loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins. He gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Sure. Amen. 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 <clears throat> we can only respond in thankfulness towards God. That's all. Yes. Thankfulness. I think that woman that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. No? Maybe she wasn't crying because she was hopeless. Maybe she was crying out of joy. Knowing yeah. that she has been forgiven. Yeah. Huh? 
because she knew that she has been forgiven much. True humility acknowledges that we fall far short, and true humility also surrenders and depends completely on God's goodness. Grace and love. That's what humility is. It's to depend on God's grace, His goodness and His love, and not to look to yourself. Alright. Then God made a plan. Oh, God had a plan from the beginning. But we're going to look at it uh, in, in, through an interesting shadow that I saw in the Old Testament. In the Scriptures. We find an interesting shadow in the Scriptures. It is a shadow of circumcision. Okay. Circumcision has been a part of the Jewish religion since the time of Abraham and the original promise that God gave Abraham and his seed. So if you don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it to you now. Okay, It's an interesting story. But it's a physical sign that man had to do to himself to, 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 keep the pro- to be a part of the promise. Okay, So let's look at Genesis 17 verse 12. Verse, Genesis 17, verse 12. If you don't know what circumcision is, go ask someone after the service. Okay, so in Genesis 17, verse 12, we see that God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision. We read in verse 12, From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to the members of your family, Abraham's family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Okay, so there's a few things that stand out to me from this. Um, God calls His promise, yeah, what does He call it? He calls it, in verse 13, an everlasting covenant. And to have part in that covenant... They had to circumcise themselves. To be a part, or to have a part in the promise, uh, a cutting off had to take place. The scriptures say that anyone who fails to be circumcised will be cut off and will have no part in the promised family for breaking the agreement. We will see how this relates to us in a moment. Okay. So we see three things here. We see that anyone could be a part of the covenant. Anyone could be, become a part of Israel um, if, they, if they circumcise themselves. No? Then they could have a part in the covenant. All right? And we also see that circumcision is a sign of an everlasting covenant. God calls it, this is my everlasting covenant. All right? An everlasting promise. Another word for covenant is promise. Okay? And then number three... If you are not circumcised, you cannot have any part in the covenant or in the family of God. Alright? But what is, let's first look at what the everlasting covenant is. Who can tell me? Who can guess what is the everlasting covenant? Everlasting means it started from the foundation of the world and it will also always, always go on. So it's everlasting promise. Anyone want to guess what that is? Say again. The death of Jesus. The death of Jesus, yeah. But what did the death of Jesus accomplish? Say again. We are saved, yeah. That is exactly what it is. And for... Yeah? The Holy Spirit, yeah. That is the covenant. The everlasting covenant. Sorry? Christ in us. Yeah. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That was the covenant and the promise that God made with Abraham. And that he called an everlasting covenant. And circumcision was a shadow of this of this covenant. Okay, of this promise. This is really awesome. Alright? 
Let's read in Galatians 3 verse 16. Galatians 3 verse 16. Now Abraham, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So we can read that first sentence and we can say, now to Abraham and his seed, Jesus. No? You agree with me because he just explained it. To Abraham and Jesus were the promises made. So, when someone makes a promise to you, whose, pro- whose responsibility is it to keep the promise? The one that made the promise, no? Okay. The one who makes the promise. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed, to Jesus. Think about it. God was actually making a promise to himself. God was making a promise to himself because Jesus is God, no? So this was to be an unbreakable promise because God himself were to fulfill or to keep it. Alright. If the covenant was dependent on man's faithfulness, it would have not succeeded. This covenant was confirmed before by God in Christ. We read that um, in verse 17. Galatians 3 verse 17 says, And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. But I want you to attract your attention to what he says in verse 17. Um, uh, after he talks about the law that was 30, uh, uh, 130 years later, cannot cancel the covenant which was confirmed by God. Okay. Another translation says, God ratified the covenant, okay? Um, and to, to ratify something means to sign a formal consent, making it officially valid, all right? God was making the agreement, listen to that, and He was signing the agreement Himself, sure, that He will be faithful to uphold the requirements. How awesome is that? Hmm? It wasn't dependent on man. God was making the agreement and He was signing the agreement saying, I will fulfill this. And who knows that God does not break His promises. God's promise of justification through faith was given long before the introduction of the law and always has been the only way to justification with God. Paul wanted to make it clear that it has always been by faith and not by keeping the law. Abraham was counted as righteous by faith. The promise was made by God to Jesus. The agreement was between them. But God is so awesome that He makes us a part of that covenant. And we we have a part in the covenant by, by, by faith. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Alright? Now let's go back to circumcision. Now that we know what the, what the covenant is, that it is to be saved, Christ in us, the hope of glory, no? that's the everlasting covenant. The only promise that God always, that has been standing for all ages. Okay? Many people think that God made lots of different covenants with man, but it's not so. It was one covenant, one promise. Okay? Circumcision was how Abraham could be a part of the covenant. But not just a physical act. Circumcision, like we say, was a shadow. A physical ritual that, that um, represented a spiritual truth. Okay, so let's look at Jeremiah 4 verse 4. Jeremiah 4 verse 4 in the King James. And we're also going to look at Deuteronomy. Jeremiah 4 verse 4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, that none can quench it, because of the evil of your doings. So God is saying here, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Of your heart. So it wasn't for God just about the physical sign that they had to do. It was, it was about the heart. Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. That was God speaking to Israel. So we see here that circumcision is a shadow of something changing in our hearts. Okay, Abraham believed God first, and because he believed, he obeyed God. Okay? And God circumcised. We see in Jeremiah that if the heart does not change, the end result is judgment. Eh? Being cut off from the promise. We saw that in Genesis when God said, if, if any man does not circumcise himself, he will be cut off from the people of God. Okay. The next verse made me really excited to see in the scriptures. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Huh? How awesome is that? He says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love Him with all your heart and soul so that you may live. That's awesome. That is a prophecy. Alright? That is a prophecy. Let's go to Colossians 2 verse 11 for the explanation. It's, it's so cool to see these things in Scripture, that in Deuteronomy, one of the first five books of the Bible, this is prophesied, that the Lord Himself will circumcise our hearts. Okay, so you understand the meaning of the circumcision, what, what, it, what it's shadowing. Eh? If you don't, you're going to see it now. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 11. Remember that we find in Paul's letters the explanation uh, of the fulfillment of all the types and shadows in the Old Testament. The letters of Paul that he wrote to the churches explains what happened. Okay, Colossians 2 verse 11 says, this is so awesome. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. Just like it was prophesied, eh? The cutting away of your sinful nature. Wow. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, verse 15, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. So circumcision ne, is a shadow in the Old Testament of Jesus coming and cutting away the sinful nature that we just looked at. No? Before we started talking about circumcision, we looked at how sinful man was, how Adam inherit, made us inherit that sinful nature. So Jesus comes, and He cuts off that sinful nature. He removes it. Okay. Uh, the sign of that promise is the removal of man's sin nature. He says that anyone who is not circumcised is not a part of the promise. And Jesus, our faithful Lord, keeps the promise by circumcising the heart of the believer. We said, he said he signed it, no? He signed his own agreement that he will be faithful to fulfill it. And yet Jesus did it. Jesus, our faithful Lord, keeps the promise by circumcising the heart of the believer. And it was prophesied in the, in the law. He removes our sin nature so that we can receive the promise. Because how can two spirits live in one body? No? It's either the nature of God or the nature of the devil. Yeah. 
Alright. Um, the new nature, the Spirit of God is the promise. And circumcision is the sign. How do we receive the circumcision and become a part of the promise that God made to Jesus? How do we receive the circumcision of the heart? Can anyone tell me? Yeah, we receive it by faith. Yeah. No? Just like Abraham did. Abraham believed first and then he was circumcised. All right. So it is by faith that we receive the circumcision. It's by faith that Jesus comes and he removes the sin nature and he puts his nature inside of us, his spirit. How awesome is that? So we look at the three points of circumcision. It says, the first one we said, anyone could be a part of the covenant, not just the family of Abraham, as long as they were circumcised. If they physically circumcised themselves, then they could be a part of the family. Now we can see how anyone, not just the Jews, can be included in the promise. How anyone can be saved. Because it is by faith. Abraham believed first, and then as a proof of that faith, he was circumcised. We believe, and Jesus removes the sin nature. Circumcision is number two. We said that circumcision is a sign of the everlasting covenant. It is part of the everlasting covenant, the promise of Christ in us. We just explained it. The old sin nature, the spirit of the devil, had to be removed first before Jesus could deposit his spirit within us, his nature within us. And number three, we said that if you are not circumcised, you have no part in the covenant. That was, I'm talking in the Old Testament now, no? Um, And you could not be a part of Abraham's family. In the same way, if we don't believe, if Jesus doesn't remove our sin nature, we cannot be a part of the family of God. Amen. The body of Christ. So how did Jesus do it? How How did he do this? the circumcision of our hearts. We read it in Colossians, where we just read. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and and with Him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God. No? There we go. Because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Colossians 2 verse 20. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world? Such as, and then he goes on like, what all the rules that they were trying to uphold. So we see in verse um, 12, he says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Now the word baptism here, doesn't mean baptized in water. Okay. Do you guys see the word water here anywhere? I didn't see it either. Okay. So baptism here means immersion. You understand? To be immersed. Uh, to go completely under the water is, is a good example of that. No? I guess that's why it made sense to the church all these years. Because it's being covered completely. To be immersed means to be completely covered or placed within something else. Okay? We were immersed into, we were united with Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we died with Him. You understand? We were placed into Jesus. He died on the cross. When I say we, I'm referring to the old sinful nature. Right? That old sinful nature, we, human beings, were placed into Him. He died on the cross. That old sinful nature died with Him. Alright. And then He was risen. Risen from the grave. Okay, Romans 6 verse 3. Romans 6 verse 3 in the Hebrew Names Version of the Bible. 
Romans 6 verse 3, Hebrew names version. It, I found it to be quite interesting. And he puts it in a, in a good way. Or he explains baptism very well. He says, Or don't you know that um, all who were immersed into Messiah Yeshua were immersed into his death? So he doesn't use the word baptism, right? Because that's not what it is. It's not just about being dunked in water, okay? It's about being put into Christ. Verse 4 says, uh, Romans 6 verse 4, We were buried therefore with him through the immersion to his death, that just like Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. Verse Verse 5, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, by faith, man, we will also be part of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be in bondage to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin, but if we died with Messiah, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Messiah, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no more has dominion over him, and also not over us. Amen. Verse 6 shows us uh, that the old man, the body of sin, died. That refers to the sin nature that, were, that we were all born with as as children of Adam, eh? we were all born with this in nature. That is what died on the cross. Matthew seven verse seventeen says, "A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So we had to become a new tree." Amen. One Peter two verse twenty four says, "Who himself bore our sins." In his own body on the tree. You understand? That is how Jesus circumcised us. He took our sins. He bore it on himself. On the tree. That we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose wounds or stripes you were healed. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus knew no sin. He he was perfect. Yeah. He was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. After sin was removed, Jesus was resurrected back to life, never to die again. And we are in Him. That's awesome. As Colossians 2 verse 13 says, We were made alive with Christ. And the best part is that we don't have to lift a finger. We just have to believe. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.